Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young here along with Pete Ball, and we are here with episode 66. I have no idea what athletes were best 66. I guess you got to go hockey, right? Uh, hockey or maybe football. Is football like a, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of like 60s in football, right? Six, 66 would be like an offensive lineman, but 66, I mean, it's it's Mario Lemieux, right? I mean, that's that's the guy who's a, who's a 66. Yeah, the only thing I know about Mario Lemieux is growing up and flipping over the Boston Herald and looking at the scoring leaders and just being like, wow, that guy must be really good because he leads in like every category. (laughs) Yeah, I I am pulling up a like best 66 in NFL history, and it's like centers and guards. And yeah, that's (laughs) not a very exciting number. We might be stuck in this rut for a while. (laughs) Yeah, we really should have done this earlier in our run because early on there were some good ones. Oh, here's one. Greatest... Yeah. Andrew Bogut from Australia. <laughs> yeah, number one overall pick. In yeah, he was important on those Warriors teams. There we go. Uh yeah, okay. That's that's fair, I suppose. <laughs> but I, you know what? He only wore 18 or he only wore 66 once and that was during the 2017-2018 season with the Lakers, so that really doesn't even count. Yeah, yeah. he only played 24 so, games. Darn. And I'm looking at this like I, I was trying to look up best in MLB history and I feel like it's just wrong. Like it mentions Paul Konerko, but Paul Konerko did not wear 66, did he? He wore 14. I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. I think, actually, I have I have a Konerko jersey that I, I don't know. I probably got it when I was like 12 years old. Why I do, do not remember Konerko the number jersey? on it. Uh, probably clearance rack at Burlington Coat Factory. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, I did I did realize there was a 66, and he, he's a, actually a fairly fun 66 in baseball. That's Yasil Puig. Yeah, that works. That works. So that's... Or Brian Bayo. There we go. Is he wearing 66? Apparently. Okay. Yeah, I'm really, really bad with jersey numbers. Like, I, I, I can name, like, you know, like, I know Kobe was eight for a period of time. <laughs> and I know Tom Brady was 12. But for some reason, that's just something that never stuck with me. I can give all sorts of stats. But when it comes to jersey numbers, I can't do it. Yeah. So, Bayo, is it Brian? Uh, my understanding is I believe it's Brianne Bayo. Bayo, I I have seen confirmed, but I haven't seen anyone confirm the first name, and so I just assumed it was Brian. But you're, it's it's not it's not spelled like Brian would normally be spelled. So I, no, I, you know out. what? Now that you say that, I think I think it is Brian. I'm trying to think of how they called him in the broadcast because they would have it right. Most of the, usually the Red Sox broadcast is pretty good with that, and I want to say they said Brian. Well, we should figure it out because I feel like. And maybe our, our listeners can tell us if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're gonna have a lot of questions about him and a lot of conversation about him later in the season because his his debut was uh, not great. It wasn't awful. bad, but it but it wasn't great. You can call it awful. I, I mean, oh, I, it's I still it it's still a debut. I mean, yeah. it happened. It's still tough, you know. But <laughs> he looked awfully good in the minors this year. Yeah. But last year. You know, his performance in double A was sort of meh last year. He was good in, in high A, but 
it was high A. So I think he's going to be sort of an interesting guy as the season goes on and as we get into the offseason because I think he's going to have sort of a mixed track record. And I think he's going to be a guy that people are like, man, his major league performance has been – I think it will be better than it was in his first start, but I don't, I don't expect him to sort of set the world on fire either. So I think you're going to have this guy who, like, at the end of the season, you got this, yeah, his major league performance is sort of mediocre. He looked great in the minors, but he doesn't really have a great track record. So, like, what is he and what should I do with him? I think we're going to be discussing that a lot. So I don't trust their ability to develop pitching, so. No? (laughs) No. No. Who have they developed? I I I guess it depends how you feel about them, but, like, John Lester? I mean, Whit- sure. Whitlock and Hauk are the two most recent ones, right? They got a lot to prove, though. That's the thing. Yeah, like, they do. Are, is they is Whitlock really going to stick in the bullpen? Is that really what's going to happen with him? Uh, for this year, yeah. Yeah, the is that plan is... Just because the injury stuff? I mean, like, it, it certainly feels like the Red Sox right now, like, their rotation is what? Let's see. It's, it's Nick Pavetta, Josh Winkowski, Bayo... And Cutter Crawford? So, is that it? Do they even have a fifth starter? I assume you're looking at roster resource right now. I'm actually looking at the MLB at their just their active roster and trying to figure out because like the other starters on the active roster are are sale and he'll be back Tuesday. So that so maybe there it is. Now you've got five: Yavaldi who's hurt, Waka who's hurt, Hill who's hurt, Paxton who's hurt. Yeah, it just seems like are uh, they really in a position to not be using Whitlock as a starter? For the first time since 1945, they started rookies four games in a row, <laughs> and three ga- three of those were against the Yankees. So it's it's been tough. It's it's been the injuries. I mean, when healthy, like on paper, it's such a stupid thing to say, and I'm almost annoyed just saying it because it's like, when is this ever the case? But Chris Sale, Nate Evaldi, who just had a rehab start, Evaldi's on his way back. He went like three innings or something like that. Uh, Pavetta, Paxton, and then have your pick between Waka and Hill. That's that's fine. Um, and I think that's what they're hoping for at some point. Like Paxton looks more like August. Who knows what's going on with um, with Rich Hill. But I think they think they can piece it together. And it's more, it's less the injuries. Because if anything, the injuries would force Whitlock to start. It's just the bullpen sucks. Their bullpen's horrible. Yeah, that's fair. So I just, I meant more the injuries to Whitlock. Is this just like, are they, are they thinking that they can keep him healthier? But I don't know. It seems like they could use starters, but I get it. I get that they need, they need everything, right? They need pitchers to start. They need pitchers to finish. Yeah. I don't know. And it, is, I, I don't is, know. Hulk the, is Hulk the closer? Honestly, like at, at this point in time, if they needed a save, I think they're going to whoever they feel is going to, is the right man for the situation. And in a lot of cases, that's Hauk because Schreiber's the guy they're leaning on for the big innings where they have that slight leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's the thing. Like historically, the Sox have been really good when they just have the eighth and the ninth lockdown. When they get the eighth and the ninth, they can figure out everything else. And I think this bullpen is kind of tailored that way because there's going to be guys like Crawford, Whitlock, and Hauk who can go multiple innings. So if they get Whitlock back and he and Schreiber can – share the eighth and the ninth we'll figure out the rest and Crawford's look pretty good I claimed him in a couple of our hot new leagues um he kind of looked nasty his last time out so they could potentially have something in the bullpen it's just so bad so far and that's why Whitlock has to be there yeah yeah I guess that makes sense it's uh I I have Whitlock on a couple teams and 
one of the teams I have him on is uh, my OPL team. And he's just not valuable to me. I need, I, I can't keep him. So I'm going to end up probably either trading or cutting him in the next couple of weeks. And that's just super frustrating. Meanwhile, I was about to tell you that, you know, Nick Pavetta is pitching well, but then. Oh, Jesus. He just gave up a home run to Giancarlo Stanton, which. Of course he did. Yeah. He, he got a strikeout and then he had two outs and, but no, two run shot to Stanton. So. Yeah, he was on fire for a while and I think we all knew that wasn't going to last but he's he's their ace right now and he needs to be their number four starter so <laughs> that kind of explains well, I, their... I am dealing with a, my my CBS team that I've talked about before I'm dealing with a and a, a coming up a roster crunch and part of my roster crunch is that Whitlock's going to come back he's on my IL right now I have one more pitcher that I usually like to carry and the options of guys to cut are Whitlock because he's going to be in the bullpen I think maybe Pavetta, Hauk, if he's not going to close, but I guess he's going to close enough. And then like Kirby just got sent down. And so I have to decide if in a, in a head-to-head league, we're having a dead roster spot really hurts me. Do I just suck it up and keep a dead roster spot for, I'm guessing it'll be about two weeks for Kirby. I'm guessing yeah. he goes down and comes back shortly after the all-star break. And I think I'm just going to suck it up because I think Kirby's that good. But yeah, there's no way I'm cutting Kirby on those names. Yeah. I think it's I think it's Whitlock because I he's got to be the the assistant to Schreiber and and I think you're right I think Hulk will probably end up because he's done it to this point and he's done it fine he's not been great as a closer he's been fine um, right. but because he's been somewhat competent and they haven't had something somewhat competent all year I think that's why he's he's maybe the guy they turn to but I don't think there's any answers at this point. Yeah. Well, if Hauk could get a save tonight, it would really help because I'm probably going to have to make that decision tonight because we do fab on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights in this league. And so I've got I've got decisions to make and I got to figure out what I want to do. I would so if not you could get hold the your save breath. today, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to help you out here as best I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having done 10 minutes on me asking Pete for advice on random Red Sox. And me giving no answers. <laughs> no answers. None whatsoever. But that's okay. You did you did confirm that, that Whitlock will be in the pen. So I guess that's something. Yeah. Uh, that's not really what we wanted to talk about today. Our topic for today is came up because of a tweet that Pete sent out. I don't know. When did you send it out? Let's see. A few days know. ago. Yeah. Ah, so on July 6th, so we're, we're recording on Sunday the 10th, which you may have figured out by my comment about Stanton taking Pavetta deep in the first, but we're recording on the 10th. On the 6th, just four days ago, Pete tweeted out, fun with small sample sizes. I will never quit Nick Senzel. Since, go, since Ju- June 15th, going into tonight, which again, four nights ago, Senzel had 44 plate appearances, eight runs, one home run, six RBIs, three stolen bases without being caught. A 425 average and a 176 WRC plus, only an 18.2% K rate. That day, he was already two for two with a home run, two RBIs, a walk, a run scored. And it got us into this debate about, or conversation about, or discussion about, guys we can't quit. And so each of us went through and, and thought of some guys who have been not great this year, to put, to put it nicely, <laughs> and that we just can't give up on and so we're going to talk about those guys and we're going to start since he was the inspiration for the entire episode let's start with Senzel yeah Nick talk Senzel. to me a little bit about why you can't quit Senzel or maybe why you should 
Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of hype him up. Um, I guess why you should he's kind of like format dependent or I guess like situation dependent because I don't expect the power to come anytime soon if it ever arrives in his career. So if you need power, he's not a guy I would necessarily turn to. Um, but I'll talk about that in, in just a second. Like he was obviously struggling this year. I think he spent some time in the IL again, which as we know about Nick Senzel is not surprising. If he didn't, then it was like inconsistent playing time or maybe he was just performing that badly. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he was way off my radar. Um, from June 15th to June 22nd, the Reds had two series against two of the best like pitching staffs in baseball. It was against the Brewers and the Dodgers. And over the course of those games, that was about, again, June 15th to June 22nd, Senzel was two for 18. Both hits were singles. He struck out six times. So if you want to do the math, it's a 30% K rate. And he only had one walk. So he was clearly in a, he's a player who is permanently in a rut, who at that point in time was in an even worse rut. But since then, so he got, he ended up getting the day off on the 22nd to clear his head or whatever. And since June 23rd, Chad just read you the stats from that tweet. But if we condense that timeline a little bit more just to fit the narrative better, since June 23rd, he's 23 for 54. Gotta find the dates that fit the narrative. Exactly. That's important here. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, I mean, since June 23rd, that's like, you know, two and a half weeks now or whatever it is. Um, 23 for 54. That's a 426 batting average. It's mostly backed up by the expected batting average. He only has two home runs, but he does have three stolen bases, just a 15% K rate, 8% walk rate. And the launch angle is up at 15 degrees, um, which is probably to see, get those fly balls, get those line drives. He was off today. Um, now the thing about Nick Senzel is like, he, he's a hit to all fields kind of guy. You know, what I like about his teammate and Brandon Drury, right, is that he pulls the ball and he lifts it in the air. Senzel doesn't really do that. And his exit velocity is is really not great. Nothing to write home about. So that's why I said earlier, I don't expect the power to come. But I can't quit him because to me, he's kind of like he has the potential to be Jeff McNeil with speed. You know, like I, I think he could absolutely hit 320, 330 with how much he puts it in play. His athleticism, the fact that he very rarely strikes out and he's very fast. And that is intriguing to me, and he doesn't come without pedigree. So unfortunately, you know, he, he ever since Jonathan India has come back, he's batting mostly seventh or eighth. But if they do trade Brandon Drury, who now just comes up all the time in our show, I, I think it's actually kind of funny. But if they do trade Brandon Drury, I think that will bump Senzel back up to the top third of the order, factoring his speed, his bat-to-ball skills, and, and just his upside. I'm not ready to quit him. Uh, and, and I can't, I got him for like $2 in the keeper caught keep or cut Ot new league. And I'm so glad I didn't cut him because finally, maybe things are coming to fruition for, for Nick Senzel. I mean, Senzel over his last 10 games for the Reds has had nine starts. And in those nine starts, looking at from a, a fan graphs points perspective for our auto new players out there, he has 64.9 points over nine starts since July 1st. That is excellent, excellent production. I mean, truly elite production. Pete gave you the numbers before dating back to June 23rd, you said, right? It's about yep, 23rd. two and a half weeks-ish. Uh, Senzel is about 75% rostered in auto new leagues. It, I'm looking at my, my CBS league. He's only 23% rostered there. Like there, there is some, he is, he is available and there is some upside. I, I just, he just doesn't hit the ball hard enough, consistently enough for me to really believe that he's going to be effective. And maybe that's not fair, but that's my, my sort of 
my, my biggest concern, I guess I would say, is like the hard hit rate and the barrel rate just aren't impressive. And like you even look at like like his ex woba, he is underperforming his ex woba. He's got a two ninety three woba on the year, but his ex woba is three thirteen. It's just not enough. I don't know. But I, I think I, I do think the question is like, has something changed over the last month? Since you know, since June first ish, something like that. Uh and I just don't know I don't know. I don't know what's different. Right? So he's got he's striking out less and walking more, which is good. Curious from the plate discipline. Like, does the plate discipline back that up? Is there something in his plate discipline? Because in that time, his chase rate is up, his swing rate's up, his contact rate is basically steady. So there isn't a lot in his plate discipline to suggest why he's striking out less. Maybe maybe there's not a, a lot to suggest why he was striking out more before. Like the, the, the other way of looking at this is that he's his strikeout rate is sort of stabilizing, but nothing's I don't know, it doesn't feel like anything's changed. It's not is that it? appealing of a fantasy profile because of the lack yeah. of power, but it, it at this point it's like we we have to see it soon cuz he's 27 years old, but I'm not ready he's to rule 27? out I know it's hard to believe, but oh my god, he just turned twenty-seven. To be fair, June 29th. Happy birthday, Nick! <laughs> the big thing to me with him though is like it's been injuries and inconsistent playing time his entire career, and he was so hyped up that if finally he just has a consistent role and he's actually healthy, the knee's been drained or whatever it was in the off season, and he can just focus on playing baseball for the first time in a long time. I think that has some value and I wouldn't be surprised if he's older and stronger. Now we start to see that power come. He plays in the right ballpark for it. That's for sure. That that's true. That's definitely true. I, I think the thing for me is I would like to see like if the argument is that getting the consistent time, having a role, knowing what he's doing was going to help him perform better. I would want to see some evidence of that. He's chasing less because he's getting more comfortable with the zone. He's making more contact because he's swinging, you know, he's getting more swings to the bat. He's hitting the ball harder because he's teeing it up better. Like none of that is there. The last three weeks, none of that is, you know, since that June 23rd date, none of that's there. And so it let, it just leads me to, to wonder like, What's changed? The biggest thing that's changed is he has a 488 BAPIP over that time. So I'm coming at this from a very different perspective than you because, well, you can't quit him. I haven't been in for like three years. <laughs> but I was sort of been a long road. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. But I was sort of curious if you were going to like convince me like, hey, he's turning things around and like now is the time. He's a post-type guy. I don't see it. I'm not ready to buy back in. Maybe that's a mistake, but well, I mean, I, I I just don't see it. I hear what you're saying with the plate discipline stuff and like looking for a change, but I'd argue it's already good that like he didn't he that's didn't true. need to improve those numbers. He just needs a, a shot and and some clarity, and maybe needs to get hot a little bit. And he's now having that opportunity. Like I I I don't know if there's a way to quantify it to have a player who had so much hype and dealt with so many injuries and, and such a crap situation and switching positions. Like when they switched his position, he immediately got hurt and was just a disaster. So like, just finally have a role and just play baseball. And like, I, I don't know if there's a way to quantify it. And for a player like that, I wouldn't turn to the 
to the plate discipline because it was already pretty strong. Yeah, I still I still would like to see something to point to. And and I, the only thing I see is BAPIP and that to me is that like uh yeah, that's, that's a red flag. Point to, so he could make he could be a high BAPIP guy, but he's not going to be a 450 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah. not going to happen. Agreed. So, that's our 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 talk on Senzel. We'll turn to me now and I'll throw out one of my guys and this is a guy I wrote about him in the offseason. I've talked about him on here, but Trent Grisham is a guy I just <laughs> I just can't quit. I had a and, feeling you were going to choose him. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to talk about Grisham. So Grisham, the the thing with Grisham is I love love guys who walk a lot and control the strike zone. And while he's never been like a a super low strikeout guy, he's he does walk a lot. He's walked a lot historically. His minor league numbers, like you go back to his time in in Double A AA and Triple A, he was walking you know, 14, 15% of the time. And, and the thing that was interesting with him is as he progressed through the minors, he was bringing down his strikeout rate. So 2017 at high A, he struck out 24.8% of the time. 2018 at double A, it was down to 21.5%. 2019, he repeats double A and is down to 17.7%. He moves up to triple A in 2019. And it's down to 13.9%. Like there's this clear progression and development that I just love seeing. And it's like, so that's it. That's the profile I want, right? Walks a lot, progressing at his understanding of the strike zone, striking out less and less over time. And then he comes up and, you know, brief cup of coffee, 51 games, 183 plate appearances in 2019. They're not good. And he breaks out big time in 2020. And he starts off 2021 just as good. And then it all falls apart. And if you take his career, and even including that rough 2019, if you break down his career to before and after May 12th of last year, and that may seem like an arbitrary date, but it's the date on which he got injured running out uh, a ground ball. And so that, I think, was, to me, in the offseason, it looked like a clear break in his season. But now it looks almost like a break in his career because prior to that, he had 564 career plate appearances, a 116 WRC+. plus. He had a 351 on base, 448 slugging. He had 21 home runs and 17 stolen bases in, in just under 600 plate appearances, right? So a little less than a full season. He was basically a 2020 guy. Since then, 730 plate appearances. So now you're talking about not just a full season of plate appearances, but like a full season of never missing an at-bat for a leadoff guy, and maybe even a little more than that. He has an 88 WRC+, plus, 18 home runs, and 10 stolen bases. So less power, less speed. Now, what hasn't changed is before he had an 11.9% walk rate and a 25.7% strikeout rate. After, it's down to a 10.4% walk rate, but also down in strikeout rate to 23.2%. So, a, a yes, he's walking less, but he's striking out less too. And it's a pretty, it's a fairly consistent, there's no major change there. Um, He is, what, what has seemingly hurt him is his BAPIP was 317 before. It is down to 259 after. His home run per fly ball rate was is it well hold on one second his home run per fly ball rate was 16.2% it's down to 10.6% and a lot of this unfortunately is driven because he's actually just not hitting the ball with as much authority he had a 39.7% hard hit rate and an 8.4% barrel rate prior to that that injury last year since then 
he's at 31.1% hard hit, 5.5% barrel. His average exit velocity is down. His max exit velocity is down. Like, he just isn't hitting the ball with the same authority, even though his plate discipline looks very similar. So that's sort of what's what's gone wrong. I, I think for me, the reason I can't quit him is because that plate discipline still looks the same. And I just find it hard to believe he suddenly can't hit the ball as hard as he used to be able to. So I don't know. I, like I, Then I start to break down and look like, ha- have things improved for him? And they sort of have. So over the last, let's see, what was I looking at here? Since June 7th, so a month roughly, he has a... 96 WRC plus, which is not great, but it's a lot better than it had been. And he has increased his barrel rate. So this is the big thing. He's increased his barrel rate to 8.9%, which is back to above the 8.4% it was in the sort of the first half of his career. His hard hit rate is actually not up, but the barrel rate is. So I don't know. I To me, maybe that's, Maybe I'm just like reading too much into one number and it, and it's maybe not the most important number, but like he's starting to show signs of heading the right direction. I mean, I, I think if, if we look at even a, like a slightly more recent time frame, he's got a, where was it? It was like, since like the 17th, it was like, yeah, he's got a one of three WRC plus since June 17th. So like he's trending up. It's not a huge increase, but he is trending up over the last few weeks. He's got the barrel rate to show it. The walk rate and strikeout rate are still sort of solid in where they are. And the BAPIP is still low, which says that there is potentially more corrections still coming. So that's where I am on Grisham. He has, I I have seen him get cut in some of my leagues. I actually cut him in some of my leagues earlier this year where he was just too expensive to stay with. But he's a free agent in two of my leagues right now at, at $3 and $5 in auto new. He is a free agent in my CBS league. And I may be trying to pick him up in all of those. Maybe that's a mistake, but I can't quit him. Just can't quit him. I mean, at those prices, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, I mean, $5 may be a little pricey, but if you have it in the middle of the season, why not? And just see where it goes. I just, I guess I'm looking at him maybe just a little bit too simply. And I look at his last 162 games and it's like, give me something. He's supposed to be a speed guy, nine steals in his last 162 games, just 13 home runs. And the stat cast data is concerning. I, I, I get that currently he's trending up, at least in terms of barrel rate, but he's hitting the ball less than 87 miles an hour on average over his last 162. So, you know, you brought up the the leg injury. I can't remember if it was calf or heel or what it was. And maybe that, plays a factor here yeah and 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 for a guy who relies on speed maybe that explains the babbit too a little bit a year ago right so like that was my my argument in the off season right in the off season when i wrote him up i my argument was everything looked good until this heel injury in may and then he like tried to play through the injury and then they had to put him on the il and then he came back pretty quickly and it seemed like one of those things they thought would heal and maybe it never really did and so there's just like maybe he just never got right again after that Sure. Maybe it bothered that he had a whole off season. So I expected this year to be different and it hasn't been. And here I am telling you all the reasons that like <laughs> it's not <laughs> well, good I mean, enough, but 
I guess that's kind of why I bring it up because, like, looking at his last 162, that might be affected by that, right? So, like, I'm trying to keep that in mind. And when I'm looking at these, it's just he's lucky that that team is so injured because if, if maybe if CJ Abrams wasn't like every other major prospect not named Julio Rodriguez and not playing terribly, um, and, and Profar was healthy and Myers was healthy. Like this dude has been so bad that it, it could come into question his playing time. Fortunately, that's not a concern right now, but if they do get healthy, I, I, if he's still doing what he's doing, not necessarily the last two weeks, but what he's done over the last year, calendar year, then it would start to get concerned. I cut him in on our, uh, keeper cut league too. Um, and I forget who I replaced him with. It might have been Austin Hayes, who actually I might cut as well. I don't know if you've looked at him at all, but the Camden has destroyed Austin Hayes this year. Uh, I don't want to go down that that rabbit hole. Grisham, I was with you. I was in on him going into this year. I thought we were getting pretty good value in drafts. But even if like even if everything begins to go back, like let's say the Babbitt begins to normalize a little bit and, and things start to trend up, like what are we really talking about with him? Because we're still looking at a 25% K rate. The walk rate is good, but it's not like amazing. And I, as great as he was in the short in 2020, is he, is he 20 homers? Is he 20 steals? Or is he under in both? I think this thing that that's when I when you go back and look at what he was in 2019, 2020, in the first two weeks of tw- or first month of 2021, right? And that includes a rough 2019. Like that's not that's not it's not cherry picking. I guess is my point, right? That's a who he was before this heel injury. He was 21 home runs and 17 stolen bases, only caught twice in 564 plate appearances. If he can go back to being that with that three, like if he goes back to that with that 351 OBP, he's going to be back to leading off in that lineup and he's going to score a ton of runs and he's going to be a 2020 guy, maybe even 25, 25 over. He's a top 100 player at that point. Yeah. But so that, that's the thing for me is like, that's the upside is that he goes back to being Cause again, it's, it's not even, I'm not, it's not a, I'm not looking for a new level of production. I'm not looking for him to break out. I'm not looking for him to do something he's ever done before. I'm just saying, go back to being who he was for the first basically two calendar years of his career. And he just hasn't been able to do it, (laughs) but I really want him to. So let's, uh, let's take a quick break there. And when we come back, we'll move on to, a guy who I know you can't quit, but I also I've got this guy in rosters and I probably should bail, but I'm not going to be right back. Hey, Alex fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the pitcher list podcast network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus you can hang out with our incredible pitcher list community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back. Going through players we just can't quit. And Pete, you you can make the case here, but I'm I I can't imagine you're going to say anything I disagree with because I'm right here with you on this guy. Let's talk Jesse Winker. 
Yeah. Okay. So I want to start by because this was a tough choice for me between Winker and Jesus Sanchez. Um, but when I dug into the numbers, I looked like, oh man, you know what? Sanchez is really performing like a platoon player. Like the dude can't hit lefties to save his life. And then I saw the weirdest thing when I looked at the same thing for Jesse Winker, where Winker is inexplicably hitting 247 versus lefties this year. He's career 208. He's a career 208 against lefties. And this year of all years, Jesse Winker is actually hitting them to the tune of 247. That's because against righties, who he hits for his career at 298, is down to 218. So like that one thing in and of itself makes me think like there's some there's some positivity coming towards Jesse Winker. Like things are going to start trending in the right direction because there's no way he's going to hit 218 against right-handed pitching for the rest of the year. Now, the power is definitely down. He's barreling the ball way less. at 7.2% barrel rate this year. It was 11.2 in 21, 13.5 in 2020. And his average exit velocity is like way down at 87.3. That's really bad. Um, wherever it was, uh, however, it was pretty great the last two years. Uh, so last year, he was at 90.6. The year before that, 92.1 average exit velocity. So like maybe that explains the power and you know, maybe the fact that his his ground ball rate is much lower than his career average um, and ground balls, as we know, are pretty good for average. And his fly ball rate is way up at twenty nine point four compared to twenty three point seven in the past. So maybe that explains the the average. Right. So the power's down because the average exit velocity is not there. The barrel rate's not there and the batting average is down because he's hitting more fly balls, but they're not going anywhere and they're not going anywhere with speed. So they're all outs. Maybe that's it. Um, but I, I don't know if he played all his games back at great American ballpark, which I guess is kind of pointless to say and goes against the point. He would have 16 homers instead. Now that he's in Seattle, he has six. Um, his career BABIP is 304. It's down at 265 this year. So that might begin to go in the right direction in his home run to fly ball rate. Chad, his career is 17.5. That's a high number. And I'm sure that's impacted by great American ballpark, but this year it's at 6.8, 6.8. Like, Maybe it really is just explained by ballpark and like he's regressing. We've, we've seen it before. Guys go to Seattle and, and they begin to regress offensively. But I think there's a middle ground between his 2020, 2021 version that was elite, like really good when it was healthy um, and this 2022 version. And I think that middle ground is closer to who he's been in the past than who he's been so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I think the the other thing that stands out to me with him is he just got off to a really bad start. Because if you look since, uh, let's go with since June 1st, just as a, a semi-arbitrary date. But since June 1st, he has a 12% barrel rate. He's at 7.2% of the year. The 7.2%, by the way, includes since June 1st. So if you think about how bad he had to have been in That's April and May. That's just crazy. For that, right? Seven, it's a 12% since June 1st. His... Home run per fly ball rate, because you mentioned that, and that's been awful since June 1st, though. 13.3%. Not at his career route level. It's about league a average. lot better. Right. A lot better than his 6.8% for the year. Uh, he is. And, and as a. Well, what was the other thing I was going to look at? There was one other number I wanted to throw out there. Babbitt, maybe. Oh, his Babbitt. 265 of the year, 310 since June 1st. And so, not a surprise. You know what his WRC plus is since June 1st? I'm going to guess it's really high. 142. Yeah. 142. He's a right. He's got a 388 on base percentage. And that's a, that is a low power output for him, too, because he still only has a 419 slugging over that time frame. Only four home runs in a little over a month. And, and so I, I sort of think he's already fixed his issues, except for the power. 
And the barrel rate being up gives me hope that that power will return. Um, a little bit like Grisham, the barrel rate's up, but the hard hit rate is not. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I Sometimes I think when barrel rate goes up without hard hit rate going up, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't bode well for the barrel rate staying up. But it's still up. Right now, I don't have any reason to, to like, argue against that. And, like, that 12% barrel rate, I mean, his, his barrel rates in 2020 and 2021 were 13.5% and 11.2%. It's like, if he, he's right back to, to hitting the ball the way you'd expect. I'd also note his ex-WOBA on the year is 360. Uh, that is still a big step down, especially in power, from what he's been over the last couple of years. But it's good. It's really good. So I, I think, I think Winker is fine. Is what it comes down to. I think he's fine. I think he got off to a slow start. I think that, you know, this suspension, unfortunately, like he had been playing really well, and then he went O for eleven in a three game period. No, not O for eleven. Sorry, he, he oh, no, he was he was O for eleven. Had eleven plate appearances, struck out four times, did not reach base. <laughs> so. And then he got suspended, and he's out for, you know, six games. He's almost done. Today's his last day of his suspension. They don't play tomorrow, but he'll be back on Tuesday. And I'm going to be plugging him back into lineups. I'm still going to sit him against lefties, even though he's been better against lefties this year. I still think you treat him like a platoon bat where you can. But, yeah, he's going to be back in my lineup because I I think he's fine. Yeah, I think this is probably the most actionable thing for our listeners so far like Senzel and Grisham it's kind of like Chad and I's like pie in the sky we're hoping that they begin to turn things around but Winker is is like like you said I mean since what was it June 1st he's basically been himself again and I and this suspension actually like a week's worth of games he was dropped in quite a few leagues he might even have been dropped in my TGFBI league and so I put in a bid for him Um, And because of where he was going in drafts, I didn't have him in a lot of leagues just because I and I liked Jesse Winker, but I liked a lot of the outfielders that were going around him more. But now I have him in a lot because he was dropped. So if he was a guy that was dropped in, you know, your your 12 team leagues, even your 10 team leagues, we've seen Winker perform extremely well and outfield is thin like he's he's a guy I'm throwing on my roster if he's available. Um, And if he's if it's a fab league, I'm putting in a pretty substantial bid. Uh, if Winker is there, because I'm with you, Chad. I think he's he's not going to be who he was as a red because you can't replicate that ballpark, especially in Seattle. But I still think he's a very good hitter, and, and he's going to be that way in the second half. Yeah, he's also uh, he is rostered right now, and Auto New he is rostered in 99 of leagues, so he is not available in your Auto New leagues. Yeah, that's not actually he's 85 percent of CBS leagues. So in CBS, but as a buy low, like I, if somebody's yeah, frustrated with him. Say. Like he he's a total buy low. Yeah, and his salary is like his average salary right now says it's thirteen fifty four median of thirteen dollars. But like I'm looking at my leagues, and in my leagues he's twenty seventeen, twenty two, nineteen, twenty six, twenty six. Like those are prices at which managers are starting to think like, man, I don't think I'm going to keep him. Like you may be able to buy him from a team that's selling or from a team that's just like you said, just frustrated. A manager that's just done and wants to move on. Um, I started to think about whether or not I would buy him and realize that in my six leagues, I roster him in three of them. <laughs> so, so I don't have that many opportunities to buy. Oh, I and wish I, I was only in six. But... <laughs> my uh, six just auto a... new leagues specifically. I oh, a, a oh Jesus. More, yeah. yeah, never mind. Yeah, just my six auto new leagues. Um, just to throw uh, one more platform out there, just because it's my pre- uh, predominant platform or my primary, I guess I should say. 
Uh, he's only owned in 76.7% of ESPN leagues. And I brought up the suspension, him being dropped. He's down 7.7% this week in ESPN leagues because of that suspension. I'm with you. I would be, I would be grabbing him. If, he, if he's a free agent, he's an easy pickup. I, mm-hmm. I, any format, any league, there's somebody on your roster. You should be dropping to pick up Jesse Winker in auto new leagues where he's not going to be readily available or deeper leagues where he may not be a free agent. Like, I would, I'd poke around, right? He's the perfect guy to, I think, reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I need an outfielder. I'm interested in Winker. You know, what would it take? Yeah. Some managers are going to be like, and like, honestly, I, if somebody reaches out to me and asks to buy Winker, I'm most likely to say like, no, I like, I still believe in him. Like, yeah, I would trade him, but like, you're paying full freight for him, right? right. And, and then you're probably not going to buy. But there are going to be plenty of managers out there who either weren't as high on him to start with or are happy to move on from him or whatever. And I would, I'd poke around for sure. So we're going to jump to my next guy now. And this is a guy I went back and forth between him and one of his teammates because I didn't know this, I guess, but JD Davis J.D. Davis is, and this is going to be a little different. I'm sort of starting to talk myself out of him doing the research for this episode. The other guys so far, I I haven't been able to bail on yet, but I always felt like Davis um, a little bit like Senzel, but in a different way. Like he just needed consistent playing time. Just the reason he wasn't getting it was very different than why Senzel wasn't. He just was buried on that team. And they didn't have a DH and they needed it and blah, blah, blah. And they, now there's a DH, but he really isn't turning things around. Like he, it's not even turning things around. That's not even the right way to say it because like ever since he came to the Mets, he was awesome in 2019. He was very good in 2020. He was awesome in 2021. And he's just fallen off this year now that he's getting more playing time. And to give you a sense of what I mean by more playing time is, he had a total of 211 plate appearances last year. He has 186 already this year. Uh, so he is playing a lot. And it's still the problem is I don't think enough, right? That's still like 56. He's played 56 games. The Mets have probably played like 85-ish, something like that. And so like he's still sitting out more than a third of their games. But he's just not hitting this year. He's got a 315 Woba. It was 357 the year before, 339 the year before that, 373 the year before that. And it's not just, you know, hitting the ball the same and, and not getting the same results because his X Woba. Actually, I take that back. His X Woba is 371. Wow. I did not realize he had that good an X Woba. Okay. I said I was going to talk myself out of him, but maybe I didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> what I was getting ready to say was he he's fallen off and now I can't like it went from like, he doesn't play enough, but he's so good when he plays and I, I just, I need to have him. And now it's starting to feel like, okay, but now he's not even hitting that well. So like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't, I'm no longer clamoring him for play every day, but like 371 X Woba. And the reason for that, now that I'm looking at this, his 12.4% barrel rate this year ties what he had last year. That's his career high between the two of them. He has an average exit velocity this year of 94 and a hard hit rate of 61%. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. It's a hundredth percentile. (laughs) It's uh, his, yeah, his, his, you're right. His hard hit rate is a 100th percentile hard hit rate, 98th percentile exit velocity, 83rd percentile barrel rate. The challenge for him this year is strikeouts. 
that's sort of that that's you know he's never been a, a super low strikeout guy but like 2019 2020 between those two years he struck out 22.4 percent of the time last year and this year combined he's at 31.7 percent that's 32.2 percent last year 31.2 percent this year so it's just just a high high strikeout rate he still walks over 10 percent of the time and as you know i love those guys who walk a lot but yeah i mean now i'm like he's hitting the ball really well yeah i, I don't know i i know i'm poking at that strikeout rate and realizing that like his swinging strike rate has always been kind of terrible like he not always i guess 20 20 and 2021 he was at 12.4 and 12.5 percent but the last two years it's at 19.4 percent and 17.6 percent those are really high swinging strike rates, and that explains why his strikeout rate is so high. Maybe he could do something about bringing his contact rate back up, and that would help. But I don't know. Right now, it's sort of a weird situation where, like, he's he seems to be hitting the ball well, but his home run per fly ball rate is low. His fly ball rate is only 27.6%, so he's, like, not hitting many fly balls. He's apparently not hitting his fly balls very well because his home run per fly ball rate is abysmal. But I don't know. He's still hitting the ball hard. He's barreling it at a, at a really high rate. Now I'm torn. I was all ready to tell you, like, if he's not going to hit better than he's hitting, then the fact that he isn't playing enough is enough to to just move on. But he's hitting the ball pretty well. So maybe, maybe he's a buy low. Now I can't decide. <laughs> and this conversation kind of reminds me of our conversation about Christopher Morrell and for different reasons. I don't think they're similar players, but, and obviously the issue for Davis, one of the issues is playtime and that's not a concern for Christopher, Christopher Morrell, obviously not at this point anyway, but it's this idea that they just whiff too much that like on contact, they're very good. And JD Davis is, is much better on contact than Christopher Morrell, who so far has been pretty damn good on contact. It's just it's just the whiffs. I mean, you brought up the strikeout rate that it's continued to get worse. If he can find a way to cut down on the whiffs and get consistent playing time, well, now we're really talking because this dude smokes the ball. Um, and I still have him in our uh, Fangraphs league or our uh, our points league. I still have him there. I'm still rostering him for like two dollars because every now and then he has those like two homer games. I think he had one the other day, but that's it. I mean, it's it's the whiffs. You look at that the whiff percentage for JD Davis. I mean, it's 37.1. The league average is 24.6. Like if he can cut down on the strikeouts, I'm in because on contact, he's great, but I don't know how much of the like quality of contact will go down. If he does find a way to cut down on the strikeouts, I, I don't know. And is he going to have an opportunity to do that with the play time? But you're right. I mean, he's a guy that's like interesting to look at under the hood because you see the 701 OPS and you're like, Oh, this guy sucks. But then you see that hard hit rate and the, the barrel rate and everything else. And, and there's something there, but to get untapped, he needs play time and he's got to cut down on the strikeouts. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what he does about those strikeouts because it is not like it's now going on two seasons of just absurdly high swing and miss. And that's, that's a challenge to fix. And I don't think it's going to fix overnight, but it's probably worth watching. I'm sort of curious now to look at like, is it at least trending the right direction, which maybe it is. Let's see, go to look at his game log and pull up plate discipline. And let's look since June 1st, his swinging strike rate is, it is 18.6%, which is actually higher than his season total. (laughs) 
not so, what we wanted to see. <laughs> no, it is not moving the right direction. His his contact on pitches in the zone is up, but out of the zone is down. Maybe he just needs to chase less. I, I don't know. He's st- but he is still swinging through way too many pitches. Uh, yeah, and it's I just cut down to June twentieth as just sort of an arbitrary day to see if maybe in the last like couple of weeks it's gotten better. His swing strike rate since June twentieth is nineteen point four percent, even oh higher than it was. God. So it's trending the wrong direction. Yeah, his what, strikeout rate since even, then is forty two percent. Yeah, what's crazy though is that even with that strikeout rate, he still has that ex woba of what did I say three seventy? It was around so like, like three sixty something maybe. Because that's three seventy one. And that should account for that, right? Like a high strikeout rate is part of what goes into your ex-woba, right? Your ex-woba is looking at a, what would we expect you to do given your strikeouts and your walks and your quality of contact? So that's built into that. So I, maybe I should just accept the 30% strikeout rate and assume, I mean, it, it must be, there must be some projection that his home run per fly ball rate is going to go up. That's the only thing I can think of because his bat pip is already 363. So he's not having bad bat pip luck. His fly ball rate isn't high, and I don't think Xwoba is expecting an increase in fly ball rate. So it must be some sort of he must just be having bad luck on barreling up balls that are not turning into home runs, I guess. I, I don't know. I looking at that, I I don't know that I want to buy a guy who's striking out that much and whose strikeouts and swing and miss are trending the wrong direction. But <laughs> But you don't want to quit him. I don't really want to quit him. His roster percentage in auto new, by the way, is only 33%, which means it's probably very low in most other formats. Oh, for sure. Um, although, interestingly, it's 33%. He is rostered in every single one of my six leagues by you in one of them. Yep, that's right. You've got him in the Fangraph Staff League. I've got him in one of my leagues, but he's rostered in all of my leagues. And yet he's only rostered in a third of all leagues. Interesting. It is. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's my fault. <laughs> maybe I'm just <laughs> too high on him and keeping his roster percentage inflated in my leagues. But I would not roster yeah. him if you weren't so high on him. <laughs> that that's the chat effect. I was like, all right, I'll I'll well, hang on to JD Davis. So you're inflating his percentage just a little bit for sure. At least by one league. At yeah, least by right. one league. All right. Okay, well let's move on from JD Davis. I think the the sort of I don't know that we actually came to any sort of like great conclusion or anything there, but he is still hitting the ball really, really well. He's just striking out way too much. Sort of what he is. We've talked about four hitters so far. We should talk about some pitchers as well. And interestingly, we both picked former Cleveland starting pitchers. The first one we're going to start with is your choice. And that is Corey Kluber. Let's talk about why you can't quit Corey Kluber. Yeah, I I can't. Um, I, I keep thinking of reasons to drop him and I just, I can't. He's he's 36 years old now, and I'm not. I mean, we obviously know he throws a ton of different pitches. Really, three primary, and they've actually kind of flipped um, over the last two years. But the big thing is right. The velocity has is now on average below 90 miles an hour, and obviously you've got to be a really good pitcher who hits his spots if you're going to be successful throwing that soft. Um, he is years and years and years removed from his 2014 Cy Young. But I want to bring that up for a second. Not his 2017 Cy Young, but his 2014, because I want to highlight just how good of a, how like much of a precision pitcher Corey Kluber can be. 
where if we look at his swinging strike rate in 2014, when he won a Cy Young, it was 12%. That's not that amazing. And this year it's at 11.2. Uh, and his O swing was 35.1 in 2014. And now it's actually at 37.3, which would be a career high, which is what you want to see because he wants to rely on being more deceptive than like living in the zone because he's not throwing that hard. So that right off the bat is like kind of promising. He can still miss bats, not at an elite clip, um, but at a good enough clip. Uh, and, and he's tricking guys. His O swing is again at a career high. Um, he pitches to contact, but he's still been hard to square up. 87.4 average exit velocity against, um, and he doesn't give up any free passes. His career low walk rate right now is 3.9%. He's not walking anybody. So to score off him, half the time it's going to be in Tropicana where it's already hard to hit. You, you have to put the ball in play, um, and he's been a hard guy to, to barrel up. If you need strikeouts, you're not going to add Corey Kluber, and if you need strikeouts, you might cut him. Um, but he will, and he will occasionally frustrate you. Uh, he's been on a strict pitch count this year. I'm trying to find it right now, but I can't find where to like filter by pitch count by start. But I can tell you that he hasn't thrown more than six innings pitched in a single start this year. Like at most, it's been 6.0, but he's done that a few times. Um, but I kind of look at that as a good thing. His no hitter last year with the Yankees, that clearly blew his shoulder out or whatever it was. Um, and the Rays are taking, you know, obviously, because they're the Rays and they drive me crazy. But in this case, I'm really happy with it. A super cautious approach. I would be surprised if he's thrown more than 90 pitches this year. Like, that's how cautious he, he has, is. actually. So how I'm many times his, his game log? He has gone. He has gone two ninety pitches three times. He's got a 90 in his first start of the year. Wait, is that his first? That's not his first start of the year. Hold on. Oh, there's a whole button I have to push here. Uh, <laughs> the the pitcher list game log shows you like the last ten starts, and you have to expand it to show everything. So now, I've, now oh, I'm just seeing everything. He went to ninety pitches for the first time on May sixteenth. He went to the ninety three on June fourteenth and ninety two on June nineteenth. Those are the only three times he's hit ninety. That's um, a, he's that been, that's not a sixteen starts. Yeah, he's gone to 90 pitches three times out of 16 starts. He's got another one at 89. He's got another one at 87. It looks to me like they are trying to get him out of the game around 80. Yeah. And they are pulling him at 90. But by pulling him at 90, I think what that really means is like if he's thrown 85, 86, they'll maybe let him get another hitter or finish an inning. If he's got 89, 90, then he's done. Is, is what it seems to be so far. Now, I don't know if that's a knowing the Rays, I would guess that's not a like, they don't seem like the kind of organization that would be focused on pitch count as much as like some sort of concept of fatigue or how hard he's thrown or, you know, leverage in innings and stuff both. like that. Right. I'm or sure. Both, I'm right. sure it all comes into play. Yeah. And, and it's been something right, that's, my guess is he's not Kevin cash is not sitting in the dugout and he's like 88. 89. Okay, go get him. Go get him at 90. Yeah. Go get him right, right. Like, but but I but it seems like as he gets up to 90, somewhere in that 80 to 90 range, they're just like, that's good enough. Um, you're right, he has not gone over six innings in a single start. If you're in quality start leagues, he has only gotten to six innings one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight times. So he's only he only has a shot at a quality start roughly half the time. Now, in those eight times that he's gotten to six innings he has gotten a quality start in every single one of them well that's, so that's actually what i was gonna that's say sort of like, interesting yeah 
yeah, I mean, he he's he's been effective. Like in quality, I have him in a quality start league, and that that's why I like I, I noticed it. Where it's like, yeah, he's on such a strict pitch count, but he's actually been really successful in, in actually getting to those quality starts. If we broke down his 16 starts in 75% of them, 12 of his 16 starts, he's only given up zero, one, or two earned runs. That's it. And then of the four other outings, if we wanted to really expand upon this, one of them was just three earned runs. So that's fine. We'll take that. And if, if he got to six innings that outing, which he did not, it obviously still would have been a quality start. The other was a nuclear explosion against the Angels where he gave up eight earned runs. And that is taking a serious toll on his overall ratios. I'd want to see what his numbers look like if we just take out that one start, which I know is a dangerous game, but still. And then the other two, four earned runs against Boston, a very good offense, and five earned runs against Toronto, a better offense. So like all of that's understandable. I I'm in on Corey Kluber. I keep seeing his roster percentage like going down. It's super low on ESPN, but like what is not to like assuming you're not in a strikeouts per nine league where obviously it would hurt you. He's been pretty reliable for a good team that I think has a good process in keeping him fresh. Yeah, and I mean he is his his repertoire like he is mixing basically his cutter sinker and curveball, which he's always mix but he's throwing his cutter more than ever um and that's basically because he's abandoned his four seamer which makes sense because his four seamer that used to be 92 has been 88.9 this year <laughs> but he's practice. only throwing it 0.7 percent of the time he's just he's a show me pitch if anything uh he has thrown it I mean, i'm looking at this now it is it's possible he's only thrown like eight of them or something that can't be right 0.7 percent of the time eight would be one out of a thousand that could be according right. <laughs> to Statcast, but, he's thrown his four seamer seven times yeah okay no so that that makes some sense and he's he is not throwing it in the zone like he's only thrown it in the zone 25 percent of the time league average on a a four seamer is 50 percent. so he's just using it as a as a show me pitch but he's mixing that cutter sinker and curveball he's also using his change up more than he used to his cutter which is his primary pitch right now he's using it 35.4 percent of the time it has a slightly above average zone rate. So league average zone rate on a cutter is 46.1%. He's throwing it in the zone 47.8% of the time. So a little bit more than average. His O swing on a cutter, league average is 29.4%. He's getting chases on 40% of his, of his cutters. That is a big, big number. And as a result, at least I assume it's as a result of that, he's managing an above average whiff rate on his cutter as well which as you said like he doesn't have the same swing and miss stuff he used to but he's still getting more whiffs than you'd expect because he's he's locating he's being deceptive um and and it is that cutter that's really driving it like he has a league average whiff rate on his curveball a slightly below whiff league average whiff rate on his sinker his cutter is what's keeping him sort of up at league average and actually his change is up as well so he's mixing pitches really well None of those pitches are like great, great. As 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 impressed as I was with the chaser to the cutter, it's not like it's a you know league changing, league leading cutter. It's just it's just a good enough cutter mixed with four pitches. And so, like, yeah, you're saying you can't quit him. I don't know why you would. He's got right. a three point six two ERA and a three point four three FIP, three point eight four XFIP, three point seven three Sierra, and a three point four three. Oh wait, no, that's not a three point nine two XERA. So like just across the board, he's just pitching well. Like all of the ERA indicators are good. Everything looks good. 
I think he'd probably get himself into trouble if he were trying to go seven, eight innings. The Rays just aren't going to let him do it. As you said, right? This is a case where like being in the Rays is sort of the perfect place for him to be. So yeah, I don't quit Corey Kluber. <laughs> like <laughs> keep him out there because he's just been very, very good. And again, I'm sort of, sort of curious to see what his roster percentages are. So on ESP, not at CBS. What is it on CBS? 86%. Yeah, on ESPN, it's it's literally half that. It's 43.2. And just because of that one Toronto outing, he went down 6.9%. And then he went out against Boston the very next start. Six innings, no earned runs, no walks, three hits, five strikeouts. And he, got the, he not only got a quality start, he got the win too. So he got right back on the horse. And as long as he's healthy and they continue to treat him with kid gloves, which I have no reason to think they won't, like, why not ride this out? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So from one 36-year-old former guardian to a 35-year-old former guardian, I pulled up Carlos Carrasco as a guy I can't quit. And I want to start by pointing out that a good chunk of why I can't quit Carrasco is who he is as as a person. And he, uh, he was in many ways the the heart and soul of some of those Cleveland teams that he was on. He, you know, he dealt with the cancer issue when he was with Cleveland and had that moment at the All Star Game in Cleveland uh, a few years ago. And he, you know, he took a hometown discount to stay with Cleveland, and they got traded away as part of the Francisco Lindor trade. And like, I, I just like Cookie. I like the guy. I want him to do well. I will fully admit that part of the reason I can't quit him is because I don't want to. I want him to be successful. However, there are also baseball reasons I can't quit him. (laughs) And so to start with, this is the most obvious is such a surface level thing, but like he has a 4.55 ERA and a 3.59 FIP. He has a 344 BAPIP on the year. That won't continue. It just won't. He's not a, there's no reason to think that he'll continue to give up a BAPIP that is that high. But that's what's happened to him so far. And as a result, his surface numbers look a lot worse than they should. His XERA is 3.98, which is very similar to where Kluber's was. Kluber's was 3.92. So, you know, FIP is going to assume sort of a league average BAPIP. He has been giving up some hard contact, and so it's not totally fair to assume that league average BAPIP, but I, I think it'll be a lot better than what it's been, for sure. He's uh, you know, he's striking out enough guys. He's got over nine strikeouts per nine inning, 23.7% strikeout rate. His 17.6% strikeout minus walk rate is is solid. I I just all in all, I think he's pitching better than his overall line would suggest. And part of that is bad luck. Part of it is he's had a couple of just brutal starts and they happened right in a row. He had had the the misfortune to face Houston twice in six days and they just teed off on him. Between those two starts, he went uh, six and two thirds innings. He gave up 11 earned runs on 10 hits, struck out six and walked five. And like he's only given up 47 earned runs on the year. So that's like a quarter of his earned runs came in those two starts against one team that he will not face again this year. (laughs) So, uh, you know, he's had other not great starts. He gave up five runs against Philadelphia. He gave up 
four against Seattle, and he had an eight-run implosion against St. Louis. So, you know, part of this with Carrasco is, like, be smart about when you use him. Like, I would have used him against St. Louis. I would have given I had that eight-run implosion. That was super unfortunate. But I wouldn't have started him against Houston, and I wouldn't have started him against Philadelphia. And that would have taken a big chunk off of what he's given up this year. But I'm going to keep rolling him out there because I think he's still a very good pitcher. I don't think his surface line numbers reflect just how good he's been. And I, the reality for me is, well, you know, I, I commented before that like, oh, I really just like I want him to do well. I want players on my fantasy teams I want to cheer for. I like having guys on my fantasy teams that I'm excited about and that I feel good when they do well. And like, you know, this comes down to like, when we start to have conversations about guys like Trevor Bauer and people are like, oh, you, you know, what difference does it make if you roster him? Because like, it doesn't change who he is. You're not like, you're not contributing to it. Like the reason I don't want to roster Trevor Bauer, besides the fact that he's not going to play ever again or whatever, but like guys like that is I don't want to cheer for them. I don't want to support them. I don't want to feel good when they pitch well. Carrasco is the opposite of that. It's like, I want to be invested in him. I want when he goes out and throws a good start to be like, yes, I care about that. I'm excited for him. I'm excited for me. This is good. And so that's that's what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to keep rostering him. I'm using him. I'm a, I'm a Carrasco fan. Yeah, I, I I agree with all of that. Um, to clarify for our listeners, and, I, and Chad, I assume you would agree, I would rather roster Carlos Carrasco than Corey Kluber. Um, I, I think Carrasco has more strikeout upside. I think he's more likely to go deeper into games. He hasn't over the last like month and a half or so. Um, he, he really hasn't gone over like six innings in a while, or maybe he had one six inning outing. And then otherwise, since like June 6th, he hasn't, but that that's partly because you brought up those two outings to Houston. It was just kind of in a rut. I mean, look, the guy's BABIP is absurdly high right now. Like that's down, that's due to come down, right? His BABIP against is up at 344. And his velocity on his fastball, like something you you look at when guys begin to age, and we brought up the velocity with Kluber, his velocity on his fastball really hasn't changed in the last four years. Like it's, it's right there at 93 to 94 miles an hour. Um, so I don't really see a case for some massive regression just because he's a little bit older and dealt with some injuries and obviously had the cancer scare. Um, and in the swinging strike rate, still 13%. Like we'll take that. It's not where it was during his prime years where he was up over 15 a couple of times, but 13%, that's not bad. Um, so Carrasco, I look at it, he could be a potential horse in the second half, uh, a guy who could go a little bit deeper into games and give you the strikeouts. Um, so I, I don't know where you're at in Carrasco versus Kluber, but I think if somebody offered me their Carrasco for my Kluber, I think I would take that trade. Yeah, I, I would too. I was, I was sort of curious to pull up and I, I pulled up Nick's list, the list on pitcher list from this week. And I was curious to see how he had them ranked. He has Carrasco 58th in a tier with guys like Tywan Walker, Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, Tyler Anderson, Noah Syndergaard, Jamison Tyone, and Martin Perez. That's tier eight for Nick. He has Kluber in tier 10 down at 74 with Paul Blackburn, Marco Gonzalez, Drew Rasmussen, David Peterson, Merrill Kelly, Cal Quantrill, Chris Flexen, Devin Smeltzer, and Tyler Wells. I kind of think that's too low for Kluber, but about right for Carrasco-ish. So sure. I, I still think I would take I would still take Carrasco over Kluber, but I think it's a little closer than that suggests. It also could be I, I a mean, need. Do you agree thing, with that? Right, like if I need strikeouts, yeah. wins, or qualities. 
yeah, like if I need strikeouts, wins, or quality starts, I'm taking Carrasco. But if if I need ratios, then maybe I would take Lou. He's walking literally nobody, and that is not the case with Carrasco, especially lately. Yeah. Well, looking at just another expert that I that I trust, Ido Saris on his most recent rankings had Carrasco 65th and Kluber 80th. So very similar. He's a little lower on both of them. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's, you know, that seems to be about where they belong then, I guess. if You know, usually to me, if like, if Nick and Ido agree, I'm probably just going to defer to them. Um, I, I think they're both a little low on Kluber. I think Eno is a little low on Carrasco. I, I, I think they're, I think Carrasco's top 60 and I think Kluber is top 70. Sure. But I think Carrasco is better than Kluber. I would agree with that. I actually think one of the things that may work to Carrasco's advantage is that he may not need to be a horse in the second half, right? Hopefully in the second half, they're getting regular seven, eight inning type outings out of DeGrom and Scherzer. Oh, that would be nice. And then that's, and that's allowing their bullpen to be more rested for some of their less elite pitchers. Um, and as much as I like Carrasco, he certainly belongs in a category of less elite for sure. So something yeah. else about those rankings, like, you know, the difference between 62 and 87 sometimes is something so minuscule that it, the the difference in number looks huge. But in terms of what they actually expect from those pitchers might not be that different. Yeah. And that was why I mentioned the tiers because right. for Nick, where he does tiers, you could, you know, tier eight versus tier 10 is, is sort of it's at That's least noticeable. Yeah. But yeah. To me, they should be one tier apart, not two. But that's mostly because I think Kluber should be a tier up. That's basically what I'm saying. So, yeah, but I like both of them. I think if you could get get either of them, I I would. They're not sort of readily available, but they're also the kind of guys that, again, in trade talks, I'm not sure other managers are going to be like, no, these guys are untouchable. Like, Timu has a Carrasco or Kluber and could afford to trade pitching for hitting. I I would look at that. I I would poke in at that. So uh, we've gone for... Almost an hour ten here, but you had a keeper question you wanted to discuss. So why don't we why don't we talk quickly about that before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I I think it's a good question. I think it's one that people are probably dealing with because it's about Bobby Witt Jr., who like has is like in this middle ground between like he's not one of the prospects who's completely fallen on his face. If anything, he's closer to the opposite because he's twelve homers, thirteen stolen bases. We'll take that. The average looks poor, but everything under the hood looks great. He looks like he's probably going to be eventually what we all expected from him. But my buddy Chris in our, our favorite league here um, has him and to keep him, he'd have to give up basically the equivalent of a first round pick um, because we, we've changed our rules this year and this is the first year we're doing it and we could get into that, but we, there's no need to essentially Bobby Wood Jr. would basically cost him a first round pick to keep. Uh, the reason for that is because he was kept last year. And so now his keeper value is a first round pick. Now, he's on the fence or he actually seems kind of convinced that he's going to keep Bobby Wood Jr. Um, which would mean that he probably doesn't have either of his first two picks because he's, he's also probably going to keep Trey Turner and he has other options that would be way less. Um, for example, he's got an MJ Melendez, not that he would really be an option. Is, but, is Turner, is Turner going to cost his first round pick or his second? Like is he, is he'd have so, to give up a first for Turner and then have basically give up his second to also keep Wit. 
Essentially, yes. They're bo- they both cost a first, but he has the ability to keep both for a first and a second. Um, so if you want to look at Wit as a second rounder, I think that's a lot easier to stomach. And it's a 16-team league. Um, well, I think it's the right way to look at it, right? Because for sure. if he decides Wit's not worth a first rounder, I'm not keeping him, he's still going to... like That doesn't change Turner. And Turner is the more... like Turner for a first is this. I could make a case that I don't want to keep Turner for a first. Um, I don't think I want to make that case because I think Turner is a top three pick and unless he's picking in the top three and like right I I don't see it I think I think more than likely uh, yeah more than likely giving up your first to keep Turner is fine because your alternative is to not give up your first and then draft Turner which maybe we could discuss that I think there's like there there is a case to be made that if you've got really good interesting keepers later you keep them and then you just use your first round pick to get Turner without using a keeper spot on him. But I also don't know. Do you have a limited number of keeper spots? You keep three, right? Keep three. Yeah. So I could, I could see a case if he had like five great keepers and couldn't keep them all, then yeah, throw Turner back and just use your first round pick on Turner or someone like Turner. I could totally see that. So regardless though, I assuming he's keeping Turner, then it really is a question of wit for a second. And I don't think that's a hard choice. I don't think there's any way I would keep wit for a second. So you're you're I out on wit. I'm not. I mean, I, well, I don't mean it that way. But in this game, situation, yeah. you are out on wit for a set, even in a 16 team. I, mean, I just think like try to think about like what was his ADP this year. Let me see something baseball. ADP. Let's see if I can pull something up real quick. Um, looking at fantasy pros just because I don't know where else to look that isn't like, I don't want to, I don't want to use NFBC because that's not a good comp for this, but wit fantasy pros was a, a, his ADP was around 98. Your is your, how many teams are in your league? 16. Okay. So in a 16 teamer, 98 is what? Like a fifth or sixth round pick. Uh, That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, five times sixteen would so the fifth the last pick of the fifth round would be the eighty. Yeah. So it's 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 actually an old, it's it's actually an early seventh round pick is what it is. Right. Has Bobby Witt Jr. done anything this year to suggest that he should move up from being a seventh round pick to being a first round pick or even a second round pick? I think he's moved up because I think he's he's held his own and he's been like, but he hasn't. It's not like he's been you know, a world beater and, and sort of unquestionably one of the best players out there and blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I just don't think he's been good enough that I'm like, yeah, he's a second round pick. If I had a second round pick, I wouldn't use it on Bobby Witt Jr. It, see, that's the thing right there that I think people need to keep in mind with this because this is a new change for us because ESPN changed their rules. We talked about this months ago right. where like, it may hurt thinking like, oh, but I could lose Bobby Witt. But that means you're getting your second round pick, and he's probably going to be there in the second round if you really like him that much. And his other values, Chad, like his other options, right? So let's assume he keeps Trey Turner. I probably would, especially given his other options. They're not they're not like that great. Um, but Zach Wheeler for a fourth round pick, Luis Severino for an eighth round pick, um, MJ Melendez, I only bring him up again because he's basically free to keep. It's his last round pick. 
Um, and he did just add Nolan Jones. Maybe he becomes something. He'd be worth a last round pick. Those are really his options. There's nothing else that really jumps off the page. But to me, I'm keeping Trey Turner, Wheeler, and Severino. And I'm seeing if Witt is there in the second round. If he's if he is, there might actually be somebody I like more at that point. I think there will be somebody you like more. Like I'm looking, so now I'm looking at the Rasball player Raider. Now, I personally think the player Raiders in general overvalue stolen bases, which means that they're going to be higher on Witt than they mm-hmm. should. They have him 48th. 48th is the last pick of the third round in a 16-teamer. I I don't know where this guy is in the standings, so if I don't know if he's picking you know 17th or 32nd when, when the draft comes around, but there is no way I want to be using, let's say on average, the 25th pick on Bobby Witt Jr. It's just not, it's not where I want to be picking him, at least not at this point. Now, maybe that'll change over the rest of the season. Like, he has time to, to reach another level. But right now, he is not a second-round pick to me. So, uh, and I, can I, I just I affirm you even more that in this particular situation, there there's not five offensive categories. There's actually seven. So stolen bases are worth less. One of those extra categories is walks, and Bobby Witt's sporting a less than six percent walk rate. So yeah, he's not walking at all. Right. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Because what, he, what's the other extra category? Uh, total bases, which Bobby Witt's good for. Uh, yeah, he is. He's got a decent number of doubles and triples, doesn't he? Yeah. I, like yeah. I, to me with that category, guys like him and Boba they, they go up. Yeah. I... He seems convinced he's, he's keeping him. Uh, and, and our trade deadline is usually absolute fireworks. So who, who knows what's going to happen? But I, I was, I've been thinking about it for a while. That's why I brought it up on the show. And I think my mindset is kind of where yours is where like, ah, He's going to have to really go nuts in the second half, which he might to be worth the second round pick. So Razball player Raider allows me to use a six by six setting to look at ratings as well. And the sixth one they add is OPS. OPS is not a terrible proxy for total for bases. Total bases. Yeah, I agree. He moves up to 43rd from 48th, which is still not a second round pick. And that, as you said, walks would move him down. Right. So maybe total bases and walks is sort of a wash and he still ends up around 48 to 50. I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see him being worth a second round pick, at least not based on what he's done to date. Sure. All right. Well, with that, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. We will be back with you next week. As a reminder, you can follow the show at keep or cut on Twitter. You can also subscribe, leave ratings and reviews anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can follow Pete at Pete B baseball. You can find me at Chad young. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you next week.